the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, March 24th. Now, all of you listeners, you're going to be hearing this podcast on Saturday. Nevertheless, to keep us organized in relation to our coverage of the 2023 Miami Open, I've dated this episode as Friday, March 24th, because that is the day of results I want to focus on from this second half of the Sunshine Swing. The courts, they may be slow moving in Miami. The results, they're coming at us pretty fast. We've already had a wave of upsets in both the women's and men's singles draws at the 2023 Miami Open. In fact, I think our biggest headline coming out of Friday's play, the fact that four of the top 11 seats in the women's singles draw were knocked out throughout the course of the day. Now, again, I want to examine each of these matches in a vacuum. I'm not sure how shocking any of them were. Certainly, Bianca Andreescu's three-set victory over Maria Sakkari. That was your headline match of the day in either the men's or women's singles draws. And again, is it an upset when Andreescu wins a tough-fought three-set victory, particularly on U.S. soil over a top-10 player? I suppose I'll make the case for why it shouldn't be considered a shock. I can also get into the reasons why many may have been a bit surprised to see Andreescu get over the finish line. But That was a fantastic match. That's where I want to start today's show. Of course, we'll get into the other upsets as well. Another tough loss for Own Shaburr. Now, we know she's not at her healthiest, at her fittest, at her best right now. Still, didn't expect her to lose 2-2. Nevertheless, we can get into the mechanics of Serana Kirstea's victory for, uh, excuse me, for Vavara Gracheva's victory for Caroline Garcia again. To lose to a very much informed Serana Kirstea, who did knock out the number five seed. Not sure how shocking that is, but the fact that it was two and three was not something I saw coming. So we'll get into that. Another big win for Marketa Vandrusova, this time over Kuder Matova. The return to form of 2020 Australian Open champion Sonia Kennan. I have said it now for a couple of months, ever since I got the chance really to see her in Cleveland last summer. You can just see shades of Kennan past, and it all sort of came together in her straight set victory over the 28th seeded Angelina Kalanina. So those were the plethora of upsets. I suppose that's your snapshot of what happened on Friday, in case you can only listen to the first three minutes of today's show, but want to get into all of those results and then talk about, again, the seeds who I thought looked pretty good. That bottom half of the draw in Miami. I mean, you've got Sabalenka, you've got Krejcikova, you've got other dangerous unseeded players, not just the ones who pulled off the upsets today, but a Karolina Mukova lingering in that bottom half of the draw. Madison Keys, Karolina Pliskova. It's fascinating. The bottom half of the women's singles draw is the half that played on Friday. So, of course, that's where I'm going to start today's show, spend some time breaking down all of Friday's results, of course. We did see some upsets on the men's side as well. I like to think if you listen to this podcast day in, day out, you won't be completely shocked by any of the results. Now, only three seeds were knocked out on the men's side on the day, the opening round of 64 play, opening round for every seed in this top half of, or what was it, the, yeah, top half of the draw, because Garaz was in play. Uh, your upsets again, Zverev losing in the way he did was particularly shocking, but if you listen to our mini break podcast with Pamela Maldonado earlier this week, I kind of sensed that one coming. Similarly, you know I'm Team Rusevori, tough loss for RBA. We'll get into how Rusevori managed to pull it off, why he is 
a top 50 player very clearly on hard courts, at least in my opinion. And then, you know, Cressy, early round loss. I think that has a lot to do with the conditions here in Miami, which will certainly be a discussion, uh, a topic that permeates, excuse me, throughout each of the points I try to make here today. But busy Friday on the grounds of the 2023 Miami Open. We'll get into it all here on today's show. Again, quick programming note, just because I am located in the Eastern time zone as well. A lot of these uh, are just about every day of the Miami Open should end sometime between 10 p.m. And I don't know, we'll be cautious and say 12:30 a.m. each night and as such I'm going to date the all these podcasts are going to be misdated I suppose moving forward where at the beginning of the show I will give the date of the day I am recapping in Miami so of course there will be an episode I know you're hearing this Friday podcast on Saturday I'll record late Saturday night you'll hear it all Sunday morning etc the rest of the way as again it's the second half of the sunshine swing I know you all want daily podcasts particularly early in the event when there's so much action that happens. If we let a couple of days get away from us, now we've got a seven-hour show on our hands. And I do also promise to start next week. The texts have been sent. I'm going to have some really fun guests on this mini-break podcast to help set the scene for week two in Miami. So fun times ahead here on this mini-break podcast feed. We appreciate all of you who listen day in, day out. If you're not also listening to some of the other things we've got going on here at Cracked Rackets, let me bring them to you Uh, to your attention, excuse me, quickly as well. We break down some of the action happening at other levels of the tennis world over on our Great Shot podcast feed. We have our coverage of the college tennis season on Wednesdays and Thursdays, a coverage of everything that happens on the Challenger Tour each and every Monday. We have the chance to travel to Phoenix where I spoke with the aforementioned Emil Rusevori and players like Alexander Kovacevic, Nuno Borges, Alexander Shevchenko, Michael Emer, and so many more. All of those podcasts available over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. We, of course, put each and every episode also on our website, CrackedRackets.com. So if you haven't already, be sure to check that all out. Like, rate, subscribe, view, share with your friends. I always enjoy hearing from all of you in the comment section. And, you know, again, we've had some fun of late with some of the people who do go leave those reviews on Apple Podcasts. We always appreciate that. I know it helps us with the formula. It always makes my day because so many of you are so clever, so cunning and far too kind as well and so again always appreciate the feedback we get if you'd like to leave more do it wherever you listen to your podcast or find us on social media at cracked rackets at al gruskin with all of that said last but certainly not least a shout out of course to our friends at tennis point tennis point.com for all of the latest and greatest equipment in the tennis world the best prices as well you use our promo code cr15 when you check out you'll let them know we sent you there which we greatly appreciate shout out to our friends at tennis point tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's talk Friday at the 2023 Miami Open. And for what it's worth, some of you may have noticed no intro music uh, to today's show, no commercials, I suppose, other than my plug for Tennis Point either. That's because super producer Daniel Westoff is back in Louisville for the moment. So some of you will hear the unedited version of this show. Uh, also, if it gets posted a little bit later, I apologize. That's just on me. I haven't slept much. I am I anticipate I will be sleeping in uh, probably pretty late here on Saturday. Nevertheless, let's talk Friday at Miami. Let's start on the women's side of things. Again, five seeds knocked out on the day. Anjabur, Caroline Garcia, Maria Sakari, Veronica Kudermatova, and Helena Kalanina. That means six or seven seeds now, excuse me, 
overall knocked out of this event and perhaps more pressingly, five of the top eight seeds are now out. Jabir, Garcia, Sakari, Kasatkina all knocked out in round number two. Of course, you had Iga Sviantek knocked out by injury prior to the start of the event. Dare I say, starting to feel a little bit more like the Turbulence, the wrong word, because I think that has a negative connotation, but the parody filled WTA Tour, we have grown accustomed to over these last five years in the post-Serena, dare I say, pre-Iga, Sabalenka, Rabakina era of women's tennis, and it's kind of exciting because there are a lot of fun names still alive in the mix, and first and foremost, I think the place we have to start epitomizing where we're at right now on the WTA Tour, the depth in the women's game, how many promising young stars have emerged. The fact that Bianca Andreescu, unseated at this Miami Open. Now, she knocks off Maria Sakkari to get to the third round once again here in Miami. That victory brings her back up to number 27 in the live rankings. And you hear that number, 27. Again, it it feels as though it's very much in the mix, but when was the last time Bianca Andreescu was truly in the mix at a signature tour-level event? Yes, she beat Beatrice Haddad-Maya last year at the U.S. Open. She got knocked out 3-2 and two the very next round, third round, by Caroline Garcia. I wouldn't qualify that as in the mix. You know, second round loss to Buxa after beating Boshkova in the first round of the Aussie this year. Wouldn't count that. Lost second round last year at Wimbledon, Roland Garros as well. You know, even at the Masters, or excuse me, the 1,000-level events, when's the last time she really put herself in a quarterfinal? I guess the answer to that question would be probably Rome last year when she played that really fun first set against Iga Sviantek. Now, Iga took it 7-6. She got the bagel in the second set. So, of course, kind of wipes your memory of that match. But that feels like the last significant signature event, signature match being played by Bianca Andreescu. Now, obviously, in her 2019 season, when she went 46-7, and when she won Indian Wells, when she won Toronto, when she won the U.S. Open, she played a ton of signature matches. And even on her run to the final in Miami in 2021, it felt like she was in the mix. But, you know, she really wasn't throughout the course of last season's biggest events. And, you know, again, this is where I always like to remind all of you, She's 21, she was 21 years old, 22 years old last season. She still managed to sustain herself a top 50 ranking despite going 20 and 13 overall, despite the fact that Bianca Andreescu made it past the quarterfinals just once last season, still managed to keep herself in the mix, in the ballgame, even through the injury struggles, even through the struggles with confidence. And of course, the big thing last year was the fact that she was able to play north of 30 matches and she was able to play pretty consecutive tennis from the middle of April until the end of October, get, you know, a solid five month stretch in. Look, now she's wrapped, you know, she's racking up events here to start. 2023, which is probably the most promising thing for Bianca Andreescu moving forward. This is her seventh event of the season. And, you know, with her victory today, she moves to just eight and six overall on the year. She made a semifinal in Huajin at the end of January. Obviously had to face Iga Sviantek, round of 32 at Indian Wells last or two weeks ago, whatever it was. It hasn't been the fastest start to Bianca Andreescu's season, but 
most pressingly watching Andrescu over these first two matches now in Miami. And of course, she's had a gauntlet of a draw. She earned a three-set, two-and-a-half-hour victory over Emma Raducanu in round number one. And now... Three hours, four minutes, and a 5-7-6-3-6-4 win over Maria Sakari. And the most fascinating thing coming out of the match, and there's a lot of good tennis to discuss as well, but I think the most insightful thing, I should say, coming out of the match was the fact that after it completed and Andrew Krasny was doing the post-match interview and it was asking what is the thing Andrescu was most proud of, she said it was the fact that she didn't cramp out. It was the fact that physically she was ready for the challenge that Sakari presents. And look, these Miami courts, they don't get enough credit for how slow they are. You know, again, it's not Indian Wells levels of grit, but it's not far off. It is damn near impossible to hit a winner through someone. You have to earn that opportunity or a spontaneous winner, right? You got to move your opponent around the court. You have to be willing to move forward, take the ball out of the air, take the ball on the rise, take time away in a non-traditional manner, dare I say, or it can't just be a blunt power manner unless you're Arena Sabalenka or Elena Rabakina, who we'll get to in a little bit. But, boy, it's just these past two matches are a reminder of the totality of things Bianca Andreescu can do, right? Against Emma Raducanu, it was a little bit more power-centric, a little bit more line-drive-centric, a little bit less working the angles, working the craft, a little more direct in how she could manage her aggression throughout the course of the match. She had to work way harder for it against Maria Sakari, who was in for the fight physically. And I know this is a disappointing loss in a vacuum for Sakari to lose first match at a 1,000-level event. But, I mean, again, she was playing a top 30 player in the world here. Andrescu is fit as a fiddle right now. And Andrescu's ability, you know, Andrescu held the baseline just so well throughout the course of this match. And, you know, I know Andrescu was up an early break in the first set, which Sakari gets back with a brilliant backhand passing shot. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, again, Sakari moved extraordinarily well. She tried to be aggressive and take her backhand down the line to, you know, again, hit Andrescu off the baseline, push Andrescu back, uh, back, uh, back into the court, into the back end of the court, excuse me. Uh, I believe that's how you say that in English. And she had some, you know, she had success doing it. This was a three-hour, four-minute match. And to Andrescu's credit, she races out to a 4-1 lead in the third set, gave herself a double-break cushion. She was falling all over the court throughout the third set. It felt, you know, at one point, Sakari hits a body serve that knocks Andrescu over. Of course, to, to get that break for 3-1 in the third set, uh, Andrescu hit. So I guess it wasn't a double break. It was a single break, but she ended up holding, which was honestly the bigger challenge at times in this match. But she hits that on-the-run short-angle flick where she ends up falling onto her back end as well. Andrescu was everywhere. And again, for someone who has dealt with so many, you know, Bianca Andreescu's ability to hit a ball, a tennis ball, to possess every shot, to possess the requisite power needed to have success in the 2020s in women's tennis, that has never been in question. It's always been a question about the physicality of Andreescu. And I suppose to go full circle here, that's the two biggest positives I have thus far in 2023. It's that A, even through the losses, Andrescu has managed to play a full schedule this season, and B, now she's starting to find her confidence. Now she does earn back-to-back three-set tricky victories. Obviously, Raducanu, maybe not a top 
30 player in the world right now via her ranking, but starting to play much more like her 2021 self. And, you know, again, the mental challenge that is slam champ, one-time slam champ, you know, flash in the pan versus flash in the pan. That was that match. And then you have the physical challenge. And, and again, the, the level of tennis that had to be sustained by Andrescu, who... I, I Did she serve extraordinarily well? No. She made 70% of her first serves, but it was so hard for either of these players to really scrap out any sort of advantage short of truly hitting their first serve spot perfectly. You know, you look for Andrescu in this match. Yes, she won 64% of her first serve points, perhaps. Most pressingly, she won 60% of her second serve return points, created 12 breakpoint chances for herself. The Andrescu short angle backhand return, which she hit multiple times throughout the course of this match, just straight up for winners, is a joke. And that's the thing. Not only can she hit through you, she can hit around you. She's confident moving forward. She plays at her own pace, and not necessarily on her own terms, because if you have significant weapons, you can push Bianca Andrescu around the court, for sure, on a point-by-point basis. But she mucks things up. Again, you're playing... There's going to be momentum swings. She's going to hit four remarkable winners, followed by seven what-are-you-doing-unforced errors, followed by four ridiculously physical points. You're just doing whatever Bianca Andreescu wants to do at any given moment. And I'm not saying she's going to overwhelm you always with her tennis, but she overwhelms you with her pace. And that means something, particularly down the stretch of a three-set match where it just felt like Andrescu had both Sakari and Raducanu right where she wanted them. She's played so many three-set matches now over the course of the past 15 months. In fact, since the start of the 2022 season, Bianca Andrescu, 28-19 and 19 overall. She's been pushed to a deciding set 18 different times. So what, she's played 47 total matches, 18 deciding sets. I mean, come on now, over 35% of her matches, over a third of her matches are going the distance. You see it pay off physically. She She's always willing to go down swinging, play on her terms. That's a really good win. I've meandered enough. It's a very good victory for Bianca Andreescu. And again, it opens up the draw now as she's going to take on unseated Sonia Kennan. And I mean, Kennan earned her own impressive upset victory, three and four over Angelina Kalanina. Now, if you uh, were following earlier in the season, of course, you know Kalanina, a player we talked about a lot, whether it was in her victory over Kvitova at the Australian Open. She obviously uh, made a quarterfinal run in Hobart. I happened to be on the broadcast for her three-set victory over Kudermatova in Dubai. You know, Kalanina, 26 years old, is currently sitting at a career high of number 28 in the rankings. And I've said this before, does she have an overwhelming trait? No. You know, she's not going to be over the 80% hold percentage mark. She is a good returner, can get a little slap happy, not an elite returner. Very twitchy. Again, solid at everything, but didn't have an elite weapon to hit through Kennan. And, you know, this is a matchup we saw in Hobart earlier this season where something very similarly happened, where, again, I think Kennan was a little bit patient, a little bit too tentative in set number one in Hobart against Kalanina. She dropped that. Kennan goes on to a three-set victory. That was another match I just coincidentally happened to be on the call for. Uh, you also had for Kennan, uh, again, this, you know, I, I think this time she did not come out of the gate slow. That That's the biggest thing is, again, second time she's played her this season, that was the biggest adjustment is Kennan just came out firing. And, again, Kennan picks her targets 
as well as anyone when she's clicking. She can hit every shot in the tool. She was the original on Jabur, some scholars are arguing. Just the ability to play the drop shots, play the lobs, play the short angles. But it's the line drive tennis she's playing right now. Slice serve out wide, first forehand to the open court. I mean, Kennan was so uh, – first, not first forehand, first shot – to the open court because Kennan captures that backhand on the rise down the line as well as anyone out there. And now she's moving well. And now she's confident in her shot selection. Again, so many, you know, five five or fewer shot combinations went Kennan's way in this match. She didn't allow Kalanita to muck things up, to make things physical because Kennan was so precise with her targets. Look, these are two players who really need a win here. Would love to get to a round of 16 in Miami. Would love to get to a second week and just be in the mix at one of these big tour-level events. You'd lean BB if all things were equal just because BB does have the more we- has more weaponry in her arsenal and or more, I suppose, action on her ball. She's a little bit more fluid in the outer thirds. And, you know, again, if both of these players are clicking on first strike... BB has more things to disrupt the rhythm of Kennan than vice versa. But Andreescu's played five and a half hours of tennis through two matches. And, I mean, again, is this going to be like her 2021 run to Miami? And for those of you who don't remember, on her run to that final, it was another, you know, she played three sets against Anisimova, three sets against Muguruza, three sets against Cerebez Tormo. Of course, the three-set match against Sakari in the semifinals as well before being forced to retire against uh, Ashley Barty in that final. You really hope that's not the case. Again, Andreescu looked fit. She had a, has a day off here now. It's Again, it's two players that when they're at their best, the women's game is at their best. And again, both seem to have, quote-unquote, fallen off since their relative peaks, end of 2019, early 2020. But let's be clear. I mentioned it. Andreescu, 27 in the world. She's 22 years old. Kennan right now, 142 in the world, which is obviously a little bit further off. But she just turned 24 years old. She's got plenty of time, and for what it's worth, if she wins another match here, knocks off Andrescu, gets to the round of 16, she'll be back inside the top 130. Obviously, she's a former French Open finalist. I'm sure we're going to see her in events like Charleston. Maybe she gets a wild card into a Madrid or you know, maybe into a Stuttgart, something like that. Who knows? Sooner, Sonia Kennan is playing top 100 tennis. You look at the tennis abstract, ELO ratings this season, 2023 specific results. They have Sonia Kennan as the 50th best player in the world right now. Again, I think this is the best match she's played, this 3-4 and four victory over Kalanina since maybe the French Open in 2020. Like, it's been a while. I, and Kennan looked really good. She dominated Kalanina. And so, again, that Andrescu match, yes, they may be both unseeded, but that match as fascinating as any in the draw. And, look, I mean, again, for Sakari, you're disappointed. Kalanina, you're disappointed. Those are two tough opening matches for each of those seeds in Miami. Nevertheless, not the only two upsets we saw on the day to go a little bit quicker through the rest of them. How about Vavara Gracheva, who now with this victory over Anjabor moves to a very impressive 20-10 and 10 start to her 2023 season. You know what I'm going to say, folks, the two-thirds rule. When you're winning two-thirds of your matches, you're going to continue to progress up, up the ranking. She's now at a new career-high ranking, number 54 to start the week. She qualifies here in Miami, gets wins over Zanevska and Jabur, and 
As such, she's up to a new career high, number 45 for the 22-year-old in the live rankings. Let me say that again, 22 years old, 45 in the live rankings. And we've talked a lot of Gracheva uh, on here of late. There's a little more action on her ball than you'd expect. And it's not that she overwhelms you with her pace. It's the consistent depth. It's the physicality she brings. I would say it's more in the Halep model, the Wozniacki model, than the no, the Halep model, because there is some pace and still some drive from Gracheva, even if she is more counter-puncher than downright ball-basher. I mean, she did what she had to do against Shipper. She made first serves. She played plus ones to the outer court. She took returns of serve early on the rise, and again, on these slow, hard courts, it was just really hard for Shipper to hit through anything right now because her timing is off. Her rhythm is off. Uh, obviously, these are two slow surfaces. You have to be at your best. You have to be capable of playing physical tennis and high-level physical tennis, albeit that. Gracheva is in her peak form right now, 22 years old. She's playing the best tennis of her life. Uh, again, all due respect, Jabur is not. And so it was a tough day for Jabur on serve. She won 52% of her first serve points on the day and, you know, again, lost about 70% of her second serve points. She, you know, played... Uh, eight service games Jabur played in this match. She was broken five times by Gracheva, who went five of six on break points. And again, it was the consistent depth, her ability to track down all the junk Jabur threw at her, and her ability to put away approach shots, which looks easy. It's the hardest thing to do when you're at full speed. And the balance it takes, the confidence it takes. Again, you look for Gracheva now, her last three results. Finals of the inaugural WTA event in Austin, her first tour-level final of her career. Comes through qualifying, round of 16 at Indian Wells, wins over Kasakina Martic. Not the most impressive, but if you're going to pick up upset victories, those are two players you have to beat on hard courts, and she did it. Now she beats a not exactly in form, but takes advantage of that opportunity. 2-2 two and two over Jabur, again, into the top 50 for the first time of her career. You look for Gracheva overall now, 22 years old, Career tour level record, 71 and 69, 12 and 19 on the clay courts. I'll tell you what, she's going to be pushed in a way she has not been prior in her career on this surface. Has won her best result, third round though, of Roland Garros last year, albeit three set wins over Sharma and Tamjanovic. I mean, she's positioned herself very well heading into a clay court season where she does have a few points to defend, but she's going to get into all the big events now for the first time. Not going to have to go through qualifying anymore. And again, that's a testament to what we've seen from Gracheva 20 and 10 now to start this 2023 season. Obviously, again, disappointing for Jabur uh, to come out of the sunshine swing with just three matches played. And she's got a ton of points to defend coming up now. Charleston final, Madrid title, Rome final. It's a big clay court season. Obviously, for Jabur, she's going to look to rack up as many matches as she can. So it wouldn't shock me to see her in Charleston. Obviously, we'll see her Stuttgart, Madrid, Rome, Roland Garros, where, again, it's funny because so many points to defend until the French Open where she has no points to defend. But you look for Jabur right now, number five in the world, and you lose Madrid title points or Madrid final, whatever it was, and title points. Ooh. I mean, there's a world where she could fall from 5 to 17 very quickly. And again, a lot of that is injury-related, but a lot of points coming up for Anshabur to defend. Uh, obviously, tough stretch for her in the sunshine swing. 
couple of other unseeded players who I think have thrived thus uh, of late, and just to keep your eye on, first and foremost, Marketa Vondrosova, 4-2 over Veronica Kudermatova. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. She's a good enough athlete. She absorbed the first strike of Kudermatova, did a great job, particularly on this surface, not necessarily taking the return on the rise and beating Kudermatova to the spot, but just the depth on her return of serve, the different targets she can play to. Kudermatova never got a comfortable look at first forehands on really the first or second serve, just wasn't able to play her first strike tennis. And you look overall in this match, Kudermatova had nine service games. She faced 10 break points. Vondrosova broke her five times, uh, won about 50% of both her first and second serve points, won 57% of her return points overall. I mean, again, on these slower courts, her ability to work you over into the outer thirds, then end the point either by taking the ball early on the rise and just beating you to the spot or the combinations of drop shots she can play, mixing in the volleys, mixing in the lob over your head. Again, Vondrosova is just the perfect contrast. She does all the little things that no one else does. Back into the top 100 with this third round appearance, a straight set win over Kudermatova, who's been fine. To start this season, you look for Kudermatova now in 2023. Obviously, World Tour finalist last year. 10-7 and seven to start this season. Here's the thing. Begu, 5-4, first tournament of the year. You lose in the quarters. Whatever. Semi-final loss. Uh, Adelaide Tushi had to withdraw against Bencic. The third set loss to Volley Nets at the Australian Open. That one hurts most. But losses to Samsonova, Sviantek. Kalanina, Pliskova, and Vondrosova. Otherwise, again, if she's a top 10 player, you got to win at least three of those five matches. If you're a top 25 player, which I, a top 20 player, you know, clearly tier two, tier three conversation as opposed to being closer to tier one, which I think the debate for Kudermatova is tier two or three, not tier two or one. Yeah, I, I don't think this result, it, it's not reversion to the mean. That's not a fair thing to say. But again, it's, I think it has more to do with the totality of things Vondrosova can do versus Kudermatova, who's so power-centric, who's so first-strike-centric, a little harder for her on this surface. Again, Vondrosova, in my opinion, it says more about her that she's returned to her top 25 self. And again, according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, Vondrosova has been the 22nd best player here in 2023. Now 22-8 and eight overall in her last 52 weeks, 12-5 and five here to start this season into the round of 32 in Miami and back into the top 100. You also have Serana Kirstea, 2-3 and three over Caroline Garcia. Now, of course, Kirstea is coming off of an Indian Wells where she beat Garcia seven, uh, 5 in the third in the round of 16. And so to see the win itself, not particularly shocking, but 2-3 and three for Caroline Garcia. Now, she served very, very poorly. Not only did she rack up eight double faults, but only made 59% of her first, uh, 55%, excuse me, of her first serves overall. By the way, uh, again, hasn't served particularly well in either of these matchups against Serana Kirstea. I also think these slower, higher bouncing courts are not the ideal hard courts for Caroline Garcia, who wants to be hitting the big first serve, hitting the big first strike. But again, if you can take that away, and Kirstea had just seen that Garcia serve, she had just seen the first strike, she knew what patterns to at least try to prevent. Again, what's plan B? What's plan C for Garcia? She executes plan A at an elite level, and that's why she's a tier two player, no doubt. Because if you don't have an ability to disrupt that rhythm, she's going to steamroll you. But Kirstea did disrupt that rhythm. And again, there are just times when Garcia 
wants to play defensive tennis from on top of the baseline, you're like, you know how strong you are? You know how athletic you are? You know how fluid you are? You don't need to be doing that from a defensive position, even if, of course, ultimately she does want to work her way back onto that baseline still. Good one for Kirstea to back up the results we saw from her at Indian Wells is now. And, you know, for Kirstea, who had fallen outside of the top uh, 75 prior to the start of Indian Wells, she's back up to number 62 in the live rankings. Just back in the mix for the 32-year-old veteran. Good victory for Kirstea, no doubt about it. Uh, the last upset on the day, I forgot to mention this one, Carolina Mukova, 4-2 and two over Ju Lin. I mean, again, why I forgot to mention is because I don't consider it an upset. You look at the uh, Tennis Abstract ELO ratings, which right now are a more accurate barometer of 2023 than the WTA rankings. Mukova is the 11th best player, as I've alluded to earlier. And that's just correct. And she comes through qualifying. She's rolled everyone she's faced. 0-1-1 over Watson, 1-3 over Kutsova, 0-2 over Teichman, now 4-2 over the 32nd seeded Julin. Safe to say the 26-year-old is back. And I know she's number 51 in the live rankings, but the weapons she possesses, I mean, again, you got to keep your eyes on everything she is capable of. I know that's a long time on all of the upsets. I'll rapid fire through how the seeds performed on the day. You know, Benchich, oh my God. Ugh. When she plays like that, you, you understand why I'm so compelled by her ability to take that ball early on the rise, take time away from you. Her pace just overwhelmed Fernandez in a one-in-one victory. Ditto for Kvitova, 3-0 over Noskova. Vekic surviving 6-3 in the third over Madison Brangle. You also had good wins from Pliskova in straight sets. Keys a straight set victory. Boshkova surviving in three. Krechikova rolls Sasnovich. I think it's going to be a collision course as Arena Sabalenka from down a break early in the second set. I think she won like 20 of the final 21 points or something crazy like that against Shelby Rogers to get through. I think it's going to be Krechikova Sabalenka, in my opinion, is the match for all the marbles. Like, that's the one. Winner of that round of 16 battle, even with Madison Keys beating Robin Montgomery. I think Krechikova versus Sabalenka, winner of that, is winning this event. Yeah, the last one. I mean, ECAT, three sets over Taylor Townsend. That was a really fun match. I love watching the creativity of Taylor Townsend. And so, again, top seeds that managed to get through all looked pretty solid in the bottom half of the draw. And even with the upsets we saw, I mean, Andrescu and Kennan in the place of this, of Kalanina and Sakari, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, certainly you miss Jabur, Julin, uh, excuse me, you miss Jabur and Kudermatova, but I like this bottom half of the draw. I like all the matchups. Even Gracheva versus Magdalena Freik, the lucky loser who advanced, by the way, with a win over Erika Andriva. Unfortunately, Jung Shui forced to withdraw from the event, so another seed knocked out. I mean, it's loaded. It's a 1,000-level event. Of course, it's freaking loaded. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. So we'll leave the women's singles draw there. That's where things stand heading into Friday's round three action. And again, by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure some of those round three matches are already in play. But like the athleticism of golf versus Potapova, I don't know who's going to win that match. I guarantee it's going over two and a half hours. The power tennis of Jung Chin Wen and Ludmilla Samsonova Let's change balls every four games in that match, please. 
I mean, obviously the All-American battle, Pagula versus Collins, Bedosa versus Rabakina. We'll see how healthy either of those players are. Uh, excuse me, how healthy Bedosa is. Can she handle the pace of Rabakina, who had was pushed three sets against the always physical Kalinskaya? A lot of similarities in this matchup coming up with Bedosa. It's a really fun, really fun draw right now in Miami, even with, again, Four of the top eight seeds knocked out of play already. Five of the top eight seeds knocked out if you include Iga. Things promise, though, to be very exciting. Week two in Miami. With that said, though, we can leave things behind now on the women's side. Let's go over to the men's side of the draw. And I'm going to go a little bit quicker because I didn't think it was the most action-packed day on the men's side. Now, let's just start with the highlight reel. We did have three upsets. Taro Daniel, 0-1-4 over Zverev. Sphere just didn't have it. Wasn't moving well to the corners. Taro Daniel was so aggressive, so aggressive on his forehand return of serve. I mean, he must have hit like seven forehand return winners. Eight just outright winners against the lanky Zverev throughout the course of the match. I mean, Zverev just wasn't good out of the corners. His forehand was spraying. It was a bad day for Zverev. Again, you could tell he, he looked rusty, and he didn't have the leeway offered by the even slower and higher bouncing conditions in Miami. Miami being that much, uh, in, in Dean Wells, excuse me, Miami being that much quicker, he struggled. Now, it's another great victory for Daniel, who obviously earned the huge, uh, has earned multiple big upsets of late as well. But yeah, tough day for Zverev. Dusan Lajevic, just again, because these courts are still a little bit slower, he had plenty of time to swing through his return, dip it at the feet of Kressy, and Lajevic is executing his first forehand with such efficiency right now. He's able to knock off Kressy in straight sets. And then, look, Rusevori's forehand, when he has time to get into it, I've said it before, Emil Rusevori is Yannick center point eight. Just, you can see the action on the ball. The, the heaviness with which he hits his forehand. When he gets a clean look at it, you are just now on your back foot. He drives through the backhand better and better with every passing match. He's a more willing volleyer. And I thought perhaps more than anything else, it was his willingness to test that RBA on the run forehand. His willingness to take his backhand on the line. His willingness to also go cross court and say, I'm not my backhand's not going to grind down anymore, uh, Roberto. In those ad side exchanges, it's a really good day. Uh, for Rusevori through to, uh, again, the third round here in Miami. And, you know, you look for Rusevori, who reached a career high of number 40 at the end of last season. He's back up to number 48 now with his result here. 39 and 33 overall over his last 52 weeks. 23 and 20 on hard courts. That said, you look for him during this stretch of time. He is 7 and 9 against the top 50. He's got two top 20 wins during this stretch as well. Uh, Wins over Hercots and uh, Tiafo. By the way, again, it's who the losses are to. Eight of his 20 losses are to top 20 players. Obviously, again, is he a top 20 guy? No. Do I think he's a top 50 guy on on hard courts? Absolutely. You look for him against players ranked 51 plus. He's 16 and 11 now over his last 52 weeks. He's holding serve 82.4% of the time against those players. Perhaps more importantly, he's breaking serve 25.2% of the time. And you see that. If you have pace to push Rusevori back, he's not the most fluid athlete. He needs time to get into his playbook, but he had time against RBA. And again, the discipline with which he executes his patterns, the steadiness we see from him mentally from start to finish in a match. It's very center-esque. It really is. And, 
you know, again, I'm still a believer in Rusifori's game. 23 years old, back into the top 50. Very winnable match against Taro Daniel now in the round of 32. And, I mean, look, you get to a round of 16. Now, all of a sudden, Rusifori would be all the way up to number 43 in the live rankings. I mean, come on now. Like, that's where Rusevori wants to be at 23 years old, no doubt about it. And it was a pleasure to get the chance to speak with him in Phoenix. If you'd like to hear that conversation, be sure to go check it out over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Uh, again, Rusevori beating RBA, Lajevic over Cressy, Daniel over Zverev. Those were your three upsets on the day in terms of uh, who looked the part uh, in, in terms of seeds getting underway. Excuse me, on Friday, I mean, look— Carlitos was Carlitos. He absolutely blitzed a Facundo Bagnus who could do Facundo Bagnus, excuse me, who could do absolutely nothing to hurt him. I have no analysis to say coming out of that Alcaraz match other to say that he is better at tennis than 99.999% of humans. Who else looked good on the day? How about Casper Ruud? Much needed victory over Ilya Ivashka, two and three. There's particular, there's just a lot more purpose in Casper Ruud, who asserted himself with his forehand. And just clearly was saying, I'm going down swinging today. I'm playing on my terms. I'm I'm tired of being yanked around the court. And I like the aggression we saw from him in his 2-3 and three victory. Ditto, I like the aggression from Holgaruna, who came out firing, got tentative at the end. No doubt about it. He is still 19. Let's keep that in mind. But I thought he hit his first forehand more aggressively and more decisively than he had in about a month. So I really liked what we saw from Runa in his straight set victory over Fucevic in terms of, again, your other most impressive performers of the day. Davidovich Fokina, good 4-6 and six win over Nakashima. You know, he's got massive points coming up to defend in Monte Carlo, finalist there last year. But right now, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina is sitting at a new career-high ranking of number 24 in the live rankings. It's always good when your age and your ranking are pretty closely aligned. And 23 years old, 24 in the live rankings. Again, has those Monte Carlo points coming off his resume, but has a done a good job of earning a couple of pockets of points of protections uh, here in this sunshine swing. Over the course of the past month, and you know, again, we did have some. Th- you know, Sinner, by the way, who I didn't mention, four and two victory over Laszlo Jura. He looked pretty comfortable. I thought Andre Rublev was really impressive. He got broken right out of the gates by JJ Wolf. Was down a break for the majority of that first set, but it was because Rublev understood. Look, I can't let Wolf. You know, two guys who execute very similar game plans want to discipline. Uh, want to dominate with their serve their forehands. Rublev understood, hey, I got to be willing to hit my backhand down the line. If I don't keep JJ honest, if I don't force him to hit that full forehand on the stretch, he's just going to be camping out on that ad side, and then I'm in trouble. And Rublev missed his backhands down the line in the first three games of the match. And then he stopped missing them. And then he was able to fight off break, you know, get that break back, played a very definitive tie break, fights off a break point down three all, 30-40 in the second set with good serving, good forehand execution, Great inside-out forehand to help him secure the break, which, again, went to an unexpected position. Wolf was expecting the inside-in because Rublev had made it a point to not be afraid of attacking Wolf forehand-to-forehand. Rublev navigated his uh, some of the struggles in this match and worked his way through. And ultimately, again, that's what you ask the top seeds to do early in the event. So good win for Rublev. Good win for Taylor Fritz, by the way, 4-1 and one over Emilio Nava. Uh, those were your straight, uh, and then I guess sort of an upset, Diego Schwartzman, probably his best win in a year, 6-1 and one on a hard court over Wu Bing. Uh, 
Wu just went away in that second set, unfortunately. But credit to Diego. Again, impressive victory for the Argentinian veteran. Three setters on the day. Tommy Paul survives. Three sets over Husler. Kesmenovic, 7-6 in the third over Umber. Dimitrov, 6-4 in the third. Good to see him healthy in a victory over Struth. Yet Botik van de Sinschkulp, 6-2 in the third over Popperin. And then, last but certainly not least, Denis Shapovalov, 6-3 in the third over Guido Pea. I mean, Shapovalov's just been the same guy now. And this is not a revelation. But he's been the same guy for five years. That's the thing. And you look at the hold percentage, he's held pretty constantly between like 82.5% and 85% over the last five years. Break percentage has vacillated from about 18% to 21% over the last five years. It's the inconsistencies. You're going to get 10 minutes of really fun play, followed by seven minutes of what the hell was that? And that's what we saw in his three-set win over Guido Pea. Guido Pea had no business. Yeah, he plays high and heavy. But he no business hanging with Shapovalov on this court, especially with, again, the Shapovalov serve being one of those rare weapons that and him having the athleticism he does to be able to hit through these courts regardless of what they are, regardless of the conditions. And it's just so streaky. And every point is purposeless. Like there's, He doesn't have combinations. Every shot is just, it feels like spur of the moment for Denis Shapovalov. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, the unfortunate is the wrong word. You just see the athletic talent. No one would be willing to quit on Denis Shapovalov, who, by the way, doesn't turn 24 years old till April. And he's already gotten five years of, you know, you look for Denis Shapovalov in his career at the ATP tour level. Denis Shapovalov overall, he's played over 300 tour level matches. You look for him at the slams. He's played over 50 slam matches all before the age of 24 how many main draws has he played at slams? I'm going to guess 16. No, that's not nearly enough. I'm going to guess he's played 21 main draw matches. No, I can see it. he's played. My guess was 21. He's played 20. He's played 21 first matches at Grand Slam. Shout out to me. Um, wow, good guess, Alex. Um, sorry, I can't believe that happened. Um, and yet the. Do you feel like you have a better grasp on Shapovalov's game now than you did in 2017? Like, do you feel like when he made his slam debut, do you feel any better, worse, whatever it may be? I don't know that I do. It's a conversation I'm going to have with David Kane the next time he comes on this show because Shapovalov's another one of my 2023s an inflection point season for me. I need to just see a six-week stretch, not a three-week stretch. I need to see two good months of consecutive top 15 tennis from Denis Shapovalov if I'm still going to have him as a guy who really does have tier one potential because again athletically that's what he's capable of I mean again he survives to his credit to advance to the third round here at the Miami Open and you know again looking at the draw now tons of fun second round matches underway uh on Saturday but boy round number three you get Tommy Davidovich uh Tommy Paul versus Davidovich Fokina again Shapovalov, Fritz, ninth time in the career. Those two young talents have played. Tsitsipas going to make his debut against a rounding into form Christian Garin, who, by the way, got a really impressive upset victory. I forgot about this one over Sebastian Baez, the 27th seed. I didn't even consider that an upset. Maybe that's why I didn't uh, have it in my my upset category because, again, we just saw what Garin did at Miami, uh, at Indian Wells. And, you know, again, I don't know how shocking it is. Or maybe that's an event that's happening Wait, why do I have Green over bias? No, isn't that a match that's happening here today? 
And by today, I mean Saturday, like later on today when it gets to the daytime. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, no, I have it right. Baez and Garnin haven't played. Why does it say? Oh, it doesn't, idiot. Anyways, leave all of that in, Westoff, and Westoff's not even here to edit, so I apologize. You're going to have to have that rambling left in. No, some really fun matches, again, already set up on the top half of the draw, and uh, yeah, if you can't get excited about that, I just don't know what to tell you. But with all of that in mind, again, That'll do it for today's show. Everything that happened on Friday at Miami, we will be back with a podcast covering everything that happened on Saturday. Now, whether you hear it Saturday night or Sunday remains to be determined. Nevertheless, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who will eventually get back to this show and has a fuck of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. If you're looking for more tennis tomorrow, boy, do I have good news for you. We will have two broadcasts available for you, one on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, the other over on ESPN and ACC Network Plus, covering everything happening in the Division One Big Ten and ACC tennis world, of course. Uh, if you miss any of the matches, check out the recaps over on our Great Shot podcast feed. A shout-out, as always, as well to our dear friends here at Tennis Point for sponsoring this mini-break podcast. Remember, for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world, go to tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. With all of that said, for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.